0: Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation, God the Lord is my strength, he makes my feet like the deer's, he makes me tread on my high places." Those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Jacob. I'm the youth guy here. And if having a youth guy up in front of you makes you nervous, I can assure you that no dodgeballs will be used this morning. So, Thanksgiving is almost here. I'm sure most of y'all are getting pretty excited, right? We got time off of school, we got time off of work, we have yummy food, we got time spent with family and friends. I think Thanksgiving is a really sweet time of year because it's full of traditions. Um, so back in Michigan, where my wife and I are from, one common tradition a very sweet tradition is that we watch the Thanksgiving Day football game where the Detroit Lions play. And it's a sweet tradition for two reasons. One, because they always play on Thanksgiving Day. And two, because Detroit Lions fans can always count on them to lose. Every year. <clears throat> I think another tradition that many of, that I grew up with, and I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with as well, is we go around the dinner table at Thanksgiving Day meal, and everyone just says one thing that they're thankful for. And this is a really a sweet tradition, especially in Christian households, as we recognize that you know, we've been called to be faithful or thankful for all the things that God has given to us. We're supposed to have this spirit of thanksgiving at all time. But what if you're not feeling thankful? What if you could say, you're, I'm actually the opposite of thankful, where it's your turn at the dinner table and you're just at a loss for words? And you, in so many ways, you feel like your life is falling apart. What if you can relate extremely well to Habakkuk in verse 17 when he goes through that list of six things that for an agricultural culture would destroy your life with no figs or harvest? So I want us to think, kind of think through one big question today as we study this first. And that question is, how can I give thanks when it feels like everything around me is falling apart? <clears throat> to use the language of Philippians 2, we live in a very dark world that is in the midst of a twisted generation. Things like cars breaking down, people lose their jobs, children go in wayward directions, there's marital struggles, loved ones dealing with addictions, students are made fun of at school. We're feeling the pressures of living in a world and a culture that is increasingly growing more opposed to Christ. There are some moments in life when bad things just seem to come in bunches all at once. And when that happens, when those sort of moments happen in our lives, we, our initial response is rarely to give thanks. There are some of us here this morning who are going through some genuine hardships, right, who are going through these metaphorical valleys, valleys where it seems like there's just no end in sight, and they've just been stuck in it for a long time. Other views, uh, others of you are not struggling at all, right? And our life's pretty good right now, but we recognize that can change in an instant as we live in a dark and bitter and broken world. But if you are in the middle of a struggle right now, if you're in one of those valleys, please know that God is not oblivious to your pains and your struggles that are happening in your life. In fact, God knows better than anyone what is happening in our lives on a daily basis, and he doesn't teach us this kind of hakuna matata message, where we're supposed to just ignore or downplay what's happening on around us or forget what's happening. It's been a false teaching that's kind of made its way in the church at times. Another false teaching that happens fairly regularly is that <clears throat> is this is the teaching that if you are struggling, that must mean that you are living in active sin, and the way to get out of this struggle or this trial is just to shape up and everything is eventually going to be okay. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. Especially, too, if we look at the book of Job at all, we can recognize that that doesn't make any sense. The sort of thanksgiving that God calls us to, the type that Habakkuk demonstrates, is not this fake smile or this disconnected mind from what's happening in our lives. If again, if we go back to our scripture, verse 17, we, we know that Habakkuk is very aware of what's happening in his life. He wasn't just like, well, you know, everything seems okay right now. He knew all the struggles that were taking place. Now, true thanksgiving comes when we recognize who God is and all of the ways in which he's working in our lives. So I want us to consider this morning two components of thanksgiving. How We and we can find this in this beautiful passage, these three short verses at the book of Habakkuk, and by looking at these two components, we're going to be able to answer our big question of the day. So, how can we give thanks when it feels like everything is falling apart? First, we can give thanks because we serve a God who saves. So just, just kind of a help, help us understand where Habakkuk was at, we're going to give a little background of the book, right? So it's a short book, it's only three chapters, and it's tucked in the prophet section of the Old Testament. And it's so short, you could easily flip right past it and not even know it was there. Um, some of you here probably have never read the book of Habakkuk. But Habakkuk is a very unique book, even in the midst of these prophetic books, because in this book, the prophet's never speaking to the people of Israel or the people of Judah. Now, in most prophetic books, God, like God gives a message to the prophet, and they give it to the people. Generally, they didn't really like what they heard, but they did their job. But Habakkuk is a different book than those other prophetic books. Instead, what we see is we have a book that contains a dialogue between man, or Habakkuk and God. So what, what did this dialogue involve? What did he say to God? Well, he begins the book by lifting up a group of concerns. Right? He noted that he is living in the midst of an evil and corrupted world, which just a moment ago, we, all, we can all really relate to his situation. In chapter 1, verse 2, he actually is lamenting and crying out to God that God would save him and would like, give justice. He's calling out for help. He says things like, I'm living in the midst of a... Surround, um, surrounded by violence and injustice. And he details that the law of God was actually being ignored by the people. The ESV translation, the Hebrew actually goes a little stronger. It says that the law at that time was paralyzed. And the people who were ignoring, the people that were paralyzing the law of God, were God's people. The people who should have known better were living in direct rebellion to him, and living in deplorable sins of all different shapes and sizes. So Habakkuk's telling God all what's happening. He's expressing frustration. He's like, "God, do something! I am, uh, help enact justice in what is going on in this world." And again, we have a, it's a dialogue, so God responds to this prophet, and he responds to, and tells Habakkuk that he's about to do an amazing work, something that he actually, Habakkuk couldn't even believe if it was told to him. And God said he was going to raise up the Chaldeans, he was going to raise up the Babylonians to enact justice and punish the law-breaking nation of Israel. Uh, not quite the response Habakkuk was looking for, I'm sure. If I could put myself in his shoes right now, I'd be probably be like, whoa, God, no, 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 no. That's not, no. Um, there's got to be some other way. Um, the Babylonians, they're bad news. They are not the ones that we should be um, kind of doing this justice work. It's funny how quickly qualifications were put on Habakkuk's request once God's response wasn't quite what he wanted, right? And we can all relate to that very well as to our shame. However, we should not judge Habakkuk too harshly. If we were to consider the nation of Babylon at that time, we would probably have very similar views to Habakkuk. Said, like, these are not the guys that you want to do this. And it's very important that we note that Habakkuk, after expressing his, his you know, concerns, after expressing his bewilderment to the kind of response God's give, he waited patiently for God to answer. The, the complaints of this prophet were not of this of a moody child. But these were heartfelt pleas to God from one of God's faithful servants at a time when not many people around the prophet gave any thought at all to God himself. We have to remember, too, that for Habakkuk, things looked pretty bleak. The nation of Israel had been conquered by the Assyrians years before. Now, I got the people of Jerusalem and Judah, they're living in complete idolatry, deplorable sins and now God's telling him that Babylon's about to come in to enter into the land and conquer Jerusalem, that they would destroy the city, they have destroyed the temple itself, and all of this is going to happen in addition to catastrophes like droughts, loss of harvest, loss of livestock. But how did the prophet respond with all that in mind? Well, we see that in verse 18. He said, "'Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, "'I will take joy in the God of my salvation.'" How did Habakkuk get there? And how can we get there as well? That's a place I want to be. How do we get there? we get there not by merely forgetting or ignoring our current circumstances or situations. No, we find this peace. We find this joy that Habakkuk had by understanding that God is the God who saves. We're not entirely sure if Habakkuk lived to see the day in which the Babylonians came and ransacked the city and the temple and took people off in exile. He definitely did not live to the point in time where, you know, the people were able to return and rebuild the temple and the walls. And yet, he understood that his God, our God, is a God who upholds his covenantal promises and saves his people. This is a powerful truth to consider, that God is a God who saves. And what he's saving us from is not just a poor harvest or a loss of livestock or even car troubles. It's so much more than that. God saves us from ourselves. He saves us from our sin, which is rebellion against God. Our rebellion, our sin, is the biggest problem in our lives. It's worse than sickness, it's worse than job loss, it's worse than being treated badly by the people around us. And sin is so bad because it's it's the biggest problem in our lives, because it actually separates us from from God himself, who is the giver of life and the giver of all good things, and we will someday be held accountable for our sin. There will be a day when we will be held accountable for it, when we will be bowed before the throne of God, because when we're before the throne of God, we're not standing proudly, right? We're bowed before him. We will stand there, and we will receive judgment from the perfect and holy God. And the record of our lives that's going to flash before us, it's going to look a lot like what Habakkuk was seeing in the people of his day. We would like to say, oh, I look a lot like Habakkuk. Unfortunately, that's not the case. We look a lot like the sinners of his day. And a The God that we have is a just God who will not and actually cannot ignore sin. Sometimes we wonder, oh, can God do this? Can God do this? There's one thing God can't do, and that is ignore sin. But verse 18 says that the God we have, the God is the God of my salvation. He's the God of your salvation. He's the God of salvation of all who put faith in him, who call upon his name. Through the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a perfect substitute who paid the price for our sin. So that someday when we do go before the throne of God, when we're bowed before him, when we see the record of all that we've done, and Satan accuses us of what we've done, he's going to point at us and say, no, this one is mine. You are mine. Everyone who's called upon my name, they are mine, to be called a son and a daughter. And we can find great joy in this declaration. This is something that's worth giving thanks for, and we should never go tired of giving thanks for this as long as we live, because this is a debt that we'll never be able to repay. So going back to our original question, kind of our big question we're trying to answer this morning is how can I give thanks when everything seems to be falling apart? We can give thanks even if everything in our lives were to fall apart. If that someday we were just left with absolutely nothing, we can give thanks because we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That we have a future with no pain and we're suffering all thanks to the God of our salvation. And this can never be taken away from us because of what has been done by Jesus, has been sealed by the blood of the Lamb, by Christ himself. Now, obviously, this text is short, but there's tons we can unpack. We could spend weeks on this passage alone by itself, but we're only going to be able to highlight one. So that for next... They told me I can not do three hours, so I'll just do 15 minutes. Um, so the, one more point, that is it points just to, to our big question. We can give thanks despite hardship because God produces, produces blossoms in us. On our own, we are a fig tree that doesn't blossom. We're a branch that doesn't bear fruit. But it's important to recognize that the salvation that God gives to us freely the one that saves us from our sins, saves us from ourselves. It's not just a get out of jail free card, like, oh, you messed up here, get out, now you're okay. What God does through the work of salvation is that he actually grafts us to himself, that he connects us to him in a beautiful way. Jesus expounded on this perfectly in John 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If we're apart from that vine, we will wither and we will die. But when Christ, when, but if, if, that's if we are part, but if Christ grafts them to himself as he does, that's what gives us life. And when we have life, when we are connected to that vine, blossoms will begin to bloom. Fruit will start to grow. Fruit like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of you guys probably know the song for that, or the, I'm not going to dance for this morning. Um. But those are what's going to happen. Now, if we go through that list, some of these we really struggle with. Um, you know, if we go to that list in Galatians 5 and say, okay, like, right, running through this, like, oops, patience, not doing so hot there. I got kind of impatient trying to get through the list. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to godly living. We are called to be actively, to, we are actively told to seek to bear fruit, Last year, I was reading a commentary on this idea of bearing spiritual fruit, and I was blown away by this little phrase that the guy wrote down. He, he pointed out that it is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. That is a very important little S there. What he's saying is this is not a list of spiritual gifts. You can never make the point of like, well, I don't, ha- I don't have the gift of patience, so get out of here. Like, that's not a case at all. Every one of us is called to grow in patience and in love and self-control and gentleness and so on. And if there's something that you really struggle with, the answer is just not to plead the fifth, but we're supposed to lean into Christ, to go to the Lord who is our strength and ask for His strength. And this is especially true when we are in those valleys of life, when we are hurting and when we are struggling, the way to find joy is to go to the Lord. Habakkuk, again, the prophet of the Lord, he believed this when he said that the Lord makes his feet like those of the deer, Again, he's not saying like we're going to become like Mr. Tumnus or something. He's, it's, it's analogy, people. Um, so the the deer that he had in mind, actually in Psalm 18, David wrote about these as well. These were the sore deer that could, that could traverse these treacherous hillsides and terrain. Through the strength of Christ, we can do an amazing. We can do amazing things that don't seem possible in this world. We can find joy even in the grazed of turmoils. We can find overwhelming peace even in the middle of a hospital room. We can show powerful love to the person that is unlovable in so many ways. And we can even learn the dis- difficult discipline of self control. None of us wish for trials or valleys in life, but through these trials and these valleys, we are reminded that we serve a God who saves that we can show, or we, can, we are reminded that we are completely dependent on him, and that when we are fully reliant on God, that's when blossoms will start to bloom. That's when fruit will start to grow. So I want to end this. So friends, are you a fig tree that is producing fruit? Because if not, I encourage you to lean into Christ, to lean into the one who gives you life, to surround yourself with other believers who can support you, who can encourage you, and sometimes even challenge you. Like, how wonderful is it that we are part of a church where we have people that said, yes, I want to serve you. I want to be with you in times when you may feel like you have nothing else or no one around to support you. Like, surround yourself with those sorts of people. Every one of us is going through different sorts of trials but we share in the fact that we are all connected to the same vine. We're connected to Christ who has saved us, who saved us, but also allows us to bear fruit through the power of his name. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are truly a God who saves. We sometimes don't even recognize the full power of what you've done in the cross, where, you know, where we were dead in our sins, that we, were, we have this record of wrongs that is, continues to go, it just goes for miles and miles, and yet you have taken that away, that you have put that on the cross. You bore our burden, and you have called us your children. Help us just be, continue to be reminded that each and every day, and as we come to a time of thanksgiving, Lord, help us to never go tired of thanking you. And also to just cha- I also ask that you challenge us this day to bear fruit. Help us to not just be complacent in our faith and just to think that there's some things that we cannot do, but through your power, show us the the mighty things that are capable through the work of Jesus. Help us as we continue to worship and give thanks, Lord. May this bring you glory. In your name we pray, amen.